know, the tiger walks around the jungle not really fearing anything. He's an apex predator. And that's the way I looked at myself in the military. I was a B-2 pilot. There was no place I couldn't go. There was no target I couldn't go after. And in many ways, I think that symbolizes the United States. Highly confident coming out of the first Cold War. Uh, not only were the apex predator, we're the richest nation in the world. And it was, it was this hubris that, um, unfortunately, I believe, infected me, infected my brain, prevented me from seeing reality. And it was this, this infection that, you know, um, I spent some time curing uh, in the Pentagon, uh, in Beijing, and finally at the White House. When all of my colleagues went to the Middle East in 2001, I went to China. I went to the Defense Language Institute, learned to speak Chinese, and I went and studied at a university in Shanghai called Tongji University. And it was phenomenal. China was just entering the World Trade Organization. They were going like gangbusters. And I came away from that trip, you know, living there for two years. I left in 2004 thinking that this relationship with China is going to be really good for America. And I went from there, back flying the B-2, uh, but because all my colleagues went to the Middle East and I went to China, I got involved in China policy. And so it was there, I found myself in the Pentagon in 2014, looking at a presentation showing the attack on uh, numerous companies throughout our, throughout our economy by China. And it was, a, it was an awakening for me. It was a shift in the way I thought about warfare. You know, I have been trained that um, war is politics by other means, right? Good example is Kosovo. You know, I was planning missions for the B-2. What were we doing? How did we, how do we end that war in, in, uh, under terms that was beneficial to the United States? Well, very simply, we took B-2s with 2,000-pound GPS-guided weapons. And by the way, the JDAM, the Joint Direct Attack Munition, the GPS-guided bomb, had just been developed. They literally shipped every single thing that we had in inventory to Whiteman Air Force Base, where the B-2 was. And we loaded them up on these bombers every single night, and we went and we bombed targets in Serbia. Now, for the first 45 days, it was mostly barracks and ammo dumps. You know, uh, a guy named General Wesley Clark was in charge of the war, and he was convinced that he needed to prepare for troops on the ground. In fact, he went and told President Clinton, we need to put troops on the ground. And President Clinton said, we are not going to do that. So they had to change tactics. As, you know, as a planner, I'm, I'm looking at the target list every single night. I'm like, this is not going to move the needle. The Serbians don't care if you blow up ammo dumps and barracks. And then about day 45, we got a new target list. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be over very, very soon. What was on that target list? Assets, warehouses, factories, buildings, real estate, owned by the elites of Serbia, the folks that were supporting Milosevic. Within two weeks, night after night, taking their assets one by one, the war was over. Milosevic went and stood trial at The Hague for war crimes. Now, 
Go back to Clausewitz's statements. War is politics by other means. What were we doing there? We were creating a political outcome using military force. We told the leadership, the elites of Serbia, either stop supporting Milosevic or you're going to lose your stuff. So it's that context that I looked at this presentation in 2014 sent to me by somebody that had a billion dollars invested in China. And I looked at that and I said, well, there's no difference between what I'm seeing here and what I saw in Serbia. It's just different tools. And so I had to change the way I thought about the world, and I think we need to as well. Data, right? Uh, I've had four extended conversations when doc with Dr. Kissinger, and it was on the fourth conversation that I think we finally had some common ground. He thinks of the world in geographic terms, and generally in terms of national security, we do too. I don't think in, the, uh, uh, in terms of geographic terms, I think in terms of data. The, the technology, stealth, networks, GPS, that allowed us to be successful in Serbia is not the same type of thing that we see going on with China. You know, we took away their assets. What's happening today is something that is unprecedented, unprecedented in human history. It is, it is a principle of war that using bombers to go after a population is going to turn the population against the bombers. It's not going to get you a political outcome. It's not going to get you what you want. This is well known. This is why we focus on the leadership or the elites or the things that allow the elites to communicate with their military forces. We don't focus on the population. And that's because you're trying to use military force to achieve a political outcome. When you, do, when you attack the population directly, you actually get them angry at you and they support the government efforts, even if it's a totalitarian government. What changed with the Microsoft, Apple, Google, uh, Amazon crowd was that you could go after directly the population, right? These things. 2007. Didn't exist before that. And that group of MAGA companies that became so wealthy were based on this. What do these things do? They collect data on you, about you. That data is served up and it's used to understand your intentions, your behaviors, your perceptions, and then it's used to serve back content that begins to alter those. Good example, TikTok. What does TikTok do? It sucks data out of your device about you, everything. It even knows, the device knows that it's you holding the device. The accelerometers you know, can be, you know, with machine learning, artificial intelligence, it can be known who's holding the device. The videos you look at, the content you see, all of that is being used to understand your intentions, your behaviors, perceptions and then content is served back to you to begin to alter those. So what do the MAGA companies do? They become very good at getting you to buy shoes. Well, the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and, and in particular the People's Liberation Army, are a political force. Mao 
said, politics is war without bloodshed. In other words, not what I was taught, war is politics by other means. You use military force to achieve a political outcome. You use politics to achieve a political outcome. And what the Chinese Communist Party realized that in America, when we developed globalization and the internet, we created the tools to allow you to export political warfare on a mass scale to the individual. So now it's not just about economic behavior, it's about changing your social and political behavior. You're like, that's, that's bizarre, not, not really true. Can't happen, right? Coronavirus. Forget about where the virus came from. Let's just say it's there. What did, what did the Chinese Communist Party seek to do with the coronavirus? Promote fear. Why? Because fear is the mind killer. It is the thing that will allow you to voluntarily walk into a situation and say, I will suspend my belief in democracy and liberty, and I will give power to the state in order to protect me. I'm afraid I'm going to die. Things like lockdowns, things like forced vaccinations, these are all manifestations of things that happen in China. Lockdowns, another way for a lockdown is martial law. What did we have um, after World War II? Something called the Nuremberg Trials. What were we talking about in the Nuremberg Trials? Forcing you know, experiment, you know, bodily experiments on the people without their consent. Now, when you think of the Chinese Communist Party, don't think of the Chinese Communist Party as trying to be like the Soviet Union. It does not seek to make us into China. It seeks to make our system like theirs. Political warfare is about changing the outcomes with the rest of the world. The Chinese Communist Party is definitely afraid that the Chinese people will understand what liberty is. They will become to, you know, awaken to democracy. So it's very important that they begin to diminish those principles around the world. And we gave them, you know, with globalization and the internet, the tools to do so. So yes, we need to have a strong military. But one of the things to keep in mind is that nuclear weapons really change the game in terms of what nation states are willing to do with regard to kinetic, particularly if both nations have nuclear weapons. And so they tend to think of other ways to go about the problem. What I'm telling you is we have had, over the last two year, years, a strong dose of the world that China seeks to make in its own image a world that's less free, that is dependent on China's supply chain, and that continuously believes and is inspired to believe that China's, band, uh, China's brand of, uh, of making a society is the brand that we should all aspire to. And I would say that from my vantage point, you know, since I've retired from the military, looking at how, you know, their success, I, I cannot see a better representation of what um, people's war, which is Mao Zedong's brand of war, um, 
I don't see a better representation of the manifestation of that um, anywhere. Thank you.